Hello. 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 And welcome to the Pioneers Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. Hello and welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, a Pioneers Post production created with our partners at Buzzacott Accountants. In this series, we meet some of the stars of social enterprise and mission-driven business to find out what it means to build a healthy, resilient, sustainable organisation that's able to do good and do well at the same time. In previous episodes, we've talked about how to find the right finance, how to navigate risk, how to operate in times of crisis, and much more. This time, we're focusing on how to lead an effective and happy team, even through the difficult times. My name is Tim West from Pioneers Post magazine, and I'm joined today by three guests. Bio Adelaja is CEO of Do It Now Now, a social venture that she founded in 2016 in response to gaps in support available to black innovators building both tech companies and social enterprises in the UK and across Africa. The initiatives she's developed have led to awards by both Harvard and Oxford University business schools. Do It Now Now itself has been going from strength to strength, with revenue increasing fourfold over the past year. The organisation was also named as the trailblazing newcomer in this year's NatWest SE100 Social Business Awards. Bio, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Sadie Visick is the CEO of Clear Voice Interpreting Services, a UK social enterprise that specialises in interpreting, translation and transcription services. Clear Voice launched back in 2006 and has been growing steadily since. But again, the past 18 months has marked a step change in the business's growth, with Clear Voice more than tripling its staff team and winning the coveted title of Social Business Champion in this year's Social Business Awards. Joining as CEO in June 2022, Sadie describes herself as a relative newbie in the world of Clear Voice, but she's an old hand at shaping organisations that are scaling up, having led the largest exam board in England into an international market. Sadie, welcome to you. Hi, really lovely to be here. Our last guest is Sarah Dalton, last but not least. Head of HR Consultancy at Buzzacott Accountants. Sarah is an associate member of the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, and she works closely with Buzzacott's corporate, charity and financial planning teams, specialising in giving businesses practical and strategic solutions to managing people. Sarah, a warm welcome to you. Hi, thank you for having me. So the subject of our discussion today is broadly around how to lead an effective, happy team through challenging times. Now, I've given some brief introductions to you and your organisations, but let's have a quick summary from each of you about what your organisations are doing and actually how things are going at the moment. Um, so, Bio, let's start with you. Sure. Um, I mean, that's the that's the million pound question. How are things yes. going? <laughs> how um, are you? Yes. No, uh, no absolutely. So, um, in terms of what we do, we're a team of 26 at the moment, and we focus on providing our community first and foremost uh, with free, ex- um, extremely high quality entrepreneurship, leadership skills, mental health and well-being, resiliency skills, employability, cre- uh, creative and digital skills training um, with a focus on uh, social mobility resource and tool, resourcing and tools so that we essentially get to exist in the systems that we all depend on equally 
and get to take as much advantage of them as anybody else. And as you rightly said, we work across Africa as well as in the UK, but about 90% of our work is in the UK. Um, We are okay at the moment. I've just come back from a month off. So I'm still learning (laughs) how how much has changed while I was away, but um, we're doing well. And um, I'm looking forward to having this conversation about uh, the the happiness and strength of our employee base, because it's something that as, uh, so I founded Do It Now Now, and I'd never run an organization before at a senior level. I'd, I'd built a startup, but it wasn't um, a corporate person. And now I'm having to kind of look at things from that perspective. And uh, it's been one heck of a learning curve and I'm learning every day, thankfully. But yeah, lots of good good things to share, I think. Great. And, and if you had to sort of stick a, a kind of health check thermometer in the organization at the moment where zero is is terrible and 10 is brilliant where would you say you are honestly i would say we're at a 10 only because we yeah. get to define our own level of brilliance <laughs> so, so whatever we're doing we know we're doing the absolute best that we can so i'm going to give us a 10 brilliant right sadie over to you uh, let, let's do the thermometer test first how are you doing at the moment well, uh, I'm really delighted to say I think we're up in a, a similar sort of area uh, towards the 10. Um, we just had our biggest month ever in October. Um, so we provide uh, award winning, as you know, um, interpreting uh, and translation services by telephone, video and face to face. So for us, the yardstick is how many minutes of that of that did we do? So we had our, our biggest month ever in October. So I think everyone's feeling really Really positive about that. Um, and then as an organisation, we we got together for the first time ever in one place since we've grown. Um, there was a time where, you know, there was a few people in one office knocking around and it was quite easy to have a coffee together. But actually, yeah, we're, we're up to around 40 now. So um, so had a, a team day in London, uh, which, yeah, it was, was really positive and, and, a, and a great celebration. So, yeah, I'm really pleased to say I think we're in a good place too. Great. So let's get into this growth issue then. Bio, how much of your services been in demand, particularly recently, and how are you coping with that? Well, I mean, our work is rooted in racial justice, social mobility and economic empowerment. So, I mean, we're never really going to be out of the need of the population and the community that we serve. Um, I think what's happened, marking from the beginning of the pandemic, in which unfortunately our community kind of took a back seat and then the the hit of um black lives matter and then we became front and center in the conversation and the ebbs and flows of that over time uh the demand in terms of like the ability to actually pay for the services that we offer our community for free that is entirely dependent on the decisions of sector leaders as to what the thematic focus is and our ability to prove the impact of our work from both a racial justice lens and an economic and social mobility empowerment lens. So I found that um, my goal for our organization, considering the way that our our sector kind of follows and, and chases trends and everything is a is a good thing. No one's chasing a trend to do bad things. So I'm I'm not particularly I'm not in itself critical of that. But the way we've looked to grow is to find ourselves as diverse as possible in our income stream so that we can be as independent of the trendiness of the sector as possible. And that has meant that I have really focused on not just building our delivery teams. So our teams are skew like most most sec- uh, most organizations like ours. Our teams do skew 
towards the kind of uh, skills developers and the um and the events and programs team and things like that. But I've really focused on building our research team so we can prove the impacts of our work, building our our finance team, building, making sure that we have enough connections for the things that we don't need full time, like a lawyer or um, specifically employment law, HR support, things like that, building those connections outside of our organization and making sure that we've got the things that can make it possible for you to actually do your job, enjoy doing your job and not feel overwhelmed doing your job. Um, that's kind of been the way that we've we've dealt with growth. Growth happens and it can't, a single project could mean that we suddenly need 15 new people and trying not to hire 15 new people because that seems like the easiest thing to do, but actually saying, okay, how do we work with the people that we've got so that we can fortify their salaries and make sure that we can keep them for longer and maybe grow a little bit slower in terms of people but enrich our organization so that we're able to be sustainable for longer. Yeah, it's really interesting. As you say, you know, these services are necessary, but they can also, any services that social entrepreneurs deliver can also be victims of being part of a trend. And in doing in doing so, if you're growing fast, there's a challenge to your sustainability, both in terms of money and human resources. I mean, Sarah, it's quite interesting, isn't it, that you must come across this challenge quite a lot in terms of, well, this organisation has won a big project or a big contract and suddenly you have to double the size of your team. You know, you have to, do you resource them externally, freelancers, subcontractors? Do you hire them all? Kind of how do you go about asking those questions of your own organisation and where to go forward? It's a very challenging one. I think even more challenging in the current circumstances that we're in. And it's very I suppose it's quite broad in the sense that what might be good for one organisation isn't necessarily going to be the right way for another. And I think especially if, you know, you've, you've won a project and it might you might need those resources for that, but then in six months' time, you may not need that. So I think it's really great to hear in terms of the investment in the, the current team and that retaining the current resources that you do have and that building them up and building those skills in the stuff that you do have and retaining that I think is so key and so important. Sadie let's look at the people profile in your organisation then the team profile so you've obviously been growing fast what have been the challenges for you in terms of your people I presume you have a number of people who are permanent employees but you probably also work with lots of freelancers do you? Yeah no that's spot on and I think um getting the sweet spot of all those things balanced and working well in terms of how things are now, but also future growth is really important and, and, and sort of sustainable growth and impact have been key themes for us as well. We went through a really interesting time sort of during COVID where a lot of services moved online anyway. I mean, the whole world shifted more digital as we know. And so the telephone interpreting really took off and we were stretched really thinly and it was quite uncomfortable so now we sort of scaled up to to meet that need in a way and the other thing actually just touching on um, some of the themes that were coming up from what bio was saying and sarah is that you know we're uh, we've got a parent charity migrant help so we're sort of we feel like a gangly teenager that's sort of shot up really fast and our clothes don't quite fit and actually we're wondering how much time we want to spend at home with the parents so that those sort of structures and relationships we're we're looking at at the moment as well so 
And, I, and just in terms of the sort of core team, if you like, yeah, that's spot on. So we have a, a core team that's expanded and actually we've got a, a pool of freelancers that are the language specialists who deliver the services direct to clients. And that had to grow too. So managing that well, that, that you know, the team have done an amazing job um, and we're still sort of just tweaking it to make sure that it's really, you know, sustainable and that actually, you know, there are, that, that everyone has a manageable workload and that, you know, uh, we've got all our processes working really smoothly. And both of you as entrepreneurs who are trying to build your organisations, is it difficult to say no sometimes to growth? Um, Maybe Sadie first? So I think we're in the process of disentangling ourselves from a customer where it hasn't worked out. And I think that's a first for us. Um, And I I think you have, you know, it's taking a step back. And I think, you know, probably we're not the right person for their organisation for them to work with. And certainly it's causing us some pain. So I think you do get to a point and I guess you need a degree of sort of stuff under your belt and feeling quite solid to do that because the entrepreneurial mindset is absolutely it's like right yeah let's race after that and see if we can get it you know so I think we are sort of making more considered choices about the the business we want to be in and and bio everyone is looking for experts in diversity to advise them at the moment does that bring a huge amount of pressure because obviously you know, there's a real need. Have you said no to anything yet? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so because my journey into building Do It Now Now was so specific, I was basically incredibly broke for a very long time, working full time somewhere and spending about 50-ish percent of my own personal income on Do It Now Now. And like I said, we do everything for free. So it wasn't like I was I didn't have money to fund it. So I was funding everything myself and doing all of these things. It was extremely stressful, as you can imagine. And at a certain point, I was so desperate for any income to come in that I took on a really big client that was a really big name client. So it was my first time working with such a large, uh, large name and really thought this was going to be the the thing that really catapulted do it now now into the stratosphere and like really got us the the opportunity and i was treated so horribly i was at their offices from the moment they opened at like 8 a.m and i was working till 11 p.m and because they gave us space in their offices and i was working on their stuff all of that time and was getting paid the worst amount of money you could possibly think of. It was awful, below minimum wage on a normal thing for the for the contract. And I I remember just once they had such a terrible culture in house that they passed the buck a lot, and someone just came and yelled at me for something I didn't do. And I was like, okay, no, no, nothing is worth this level of stress. And I, it was at that moment that I was like, yeah, I'm I'm done with this. And thankfully, actually, the next day, one, once I sent in the thing, it was like, look, I think we should cut ties here. This is no longer, this is not working. The next day, we got a massive contract. So so I kind of, in my, I suppose I got reinforced with the idea that not nothing is the end, really. And that was quite early on. That was 2019 when that happened. So at that point, it was like, actually, there's always going to be something else around the corner. So we've had difficult moments where we thought, a client was really great and then things happen and it was like oh and because of the work that we do it's based in racism so the challenges that we're brought into we're being brought in to talk about are challenging the status quo someone might be championing us coming in 
and that's who we've been speaking to. We think the entire organization is on the right track. And then we get in and it's like, why are you being so rude to my staff? Why are you, it's a whole load of different things. So my perspective on just the kind of, um, the saying no is first the culture. Do, do we fit in, in what you're doing? And do I trust that I can send my people to you? But in terms of the growth aspect, I've only just started being able to really say no, even when I know it fits in every other way from a growth perspective, because I was so adamant that we had to grow. And I got so stuck in that mentality that I realized that I was actually kind of dragging everyone along this growth journey with me. And they were just actually like, I think we're good where we are, which we're a large organization by anyone's standard monetarily and by people in the across the sector so I'm just like why I don't want to drag people along this journey of growth I want us to do it sustainably so I've only just started saying no to rather large things and I'm upset about it but I'm I'm growing as a human as well and um and it's going to be fine um, what was it that made you change if you don't mind me asking was it was it that experience with that more challenging client or you know I was I started having really honest conversations I will I, they were always honest but I think I was just open to listening from a different perspective because I think it's really important to kind of contextualize my leadership with the fact that this is my first real leadership role in anything that it has been so that has been going for this long and has a level of responsibility that it does and i was my way of doing things is oh the team are tired i'll do it i cuz i don't i'm a workaholic at heart like i love working i love what we do i love that we get to do it so it doesn't make me feel tired in the moment but at a certain point i was so exhausted that i was becoming irritable when I started realizing I was being irritable with the team, it's like, ah, I need to, I need to, this is why I went on sabbatical. I need to kind of revamp everything and really look at what we're doing, why we're doing it. And now that I'm back, there are a lot of things I had on my to-do list as, as to things I was going to chase. And I'm cutting those down, saying no to masses of money that I would be very happy to receive, but recognizing that we have to go slow and steady if we want to be here for decades, really. That leads on quite nicely to the issue of recruitment. So I'm quite interested in understanding from your perspective. So obviously, you'll need to think about recruiting people at all levels of the organisation, but particularly that kind of senior team, the other people who are going to make a big difference to the way the organisation functions. And to, to take that pressure off you, Bios, because even as a workaholic, you know, you shouldn't be doing everything and actually there'll be some things that other people will be better at doing. So maybe, to, Sadie, what are your reflections on, on that? Yeah, well, I think um, it, it's been a very live issue for me because really um, when I came in, the organisation hadn't had a chief executive before. Um, so there had been uh, someone senior in migrant help uh, and then uh, I guess the way I would characterise it, it was, it was run a bit like a department so that's part of our evolution and sort of maturing as an organisation. So actually, I have created the senior leadership team, which is a, you know, it was a, is a great thing to be able to do. Of course, there were some people there who were already senior, who were absolutely um, part of that team. But I, I did notice a couple of gaps. So one of the things was that really there was a, a function that was responsible and an individual who's responsible for quality. And it just made huge sense to me that for what we do, 
we absolutely needed that person around the senior team table. So we moved that around a bit. And also, um, we didn't have a finance person. So I co-opted someone in to, to join us on the senior leadership team. But a bit like um, Bio was saying, you don't need everything in-house. You know, we've got some shared services that we get from Migrant Help. Um, and we'll also have other stuff that we sort of buy in, if you like, more directly ourselves. Um, but I think it for me, it was a bit like, oh, where's my team? You know, there were there were some there were some people there, but actually it didn't function as a senior leadership team. So so um, it's been a really lovely opportunity. Um, and, you know, and, the, and it's a real privilege to work with. They are great. They're great. And that point, I guess, about. Uh, people and well-being and us as leaders and the shadow that we cast in the organization I think we're all quite mindful of that because I think you know there was a time where people were working flat out and actually it was affecting their well-being and when you grow really rapidly like we have as well there is that how do you know what the culture is people aren't all coming into the office so if we think we want a great place to work how does that exist in a virtual world and you know employers everywhere are grappling with these things but I think when you're growing rapidly as well it's a particular concern is to think about what what do we want the experience of working here to be like for our people and when you come into an organization I mean we've all seen the kind of you know three lots of cabinet reshuffles recently in the UK for example you know and suddenly a load of people are out the door and new people are in again I mean it's not quite like that when you go in as a CEO to an established business, but there there must be challenges, I guess. I mean, Sarah, you must see real challenges sometimes when, when someone new comes to an organisation, you're going to want to review the setup and maybe there'll be personality clashes, maybe there'll be difficult things to deal with. So how do you deal with that, Sarah? My personal opinion, I think it's always sensible to kind of come in, take stock of the situation, understand the organisation in as much as you can and then go from there. But speaking from HR, if you're going to be looking at a kind of equality, diversity, the first thing you want to consider would really be having, you need to have your basic, your family friendly policies in line and in there in the first place you need to make sure that the kind of the minimum is being followed before you can really then build from there is that what you've done Sadie have you sort of gone in and made sure all the kind of policies are there and then being yeah. sort of gentle with the way you've dealt with people I really hope so I once had some feedback from a coach that I was a human being not a human doing so I think as a <laughs> As a leader, I do try and be very conscious that I needed to get to know the organisation, I needed to get to know the people, I needed to kind of understand what our business was, you know, what the relationships that work um, and stakeholders and that whole environment. And yeah, and some find out some things that maybe weren't ticking along quite as smoothly as they could. So absolutely, I think that the last thing you want is someone who arrives with their blueprint and goes, ha, I've done it before, it was brilliant, I'm going to do it to you now. You know, so I absolutely have have done a lot of listening and, um, you know, working, working collaboratively to think about how things now, how would we like them to be? And Bio, I suppose for you, having grown the organisation from its beginnings when it was sort of just you and an idea, you then, well, there are two things really. You build a team around you and I suppose there's great loyalty with and between people in that team but there's also a danger I guess that because you're the social entrepreneur and you're the founder you expect everyone else to love it and work as hard on it as you do and I'm sure people are hard working but that must be challenging. I I had to kind of let that go really early on because one of the things I, I am really conscious of I think 
really, because um, I, I had not so great experiences in workplaces previously where I just didn't feel like I was listened to or supported effectively or just not really, really um, championed in the way that I would have liked to be. So in building Do It Now Now, culture was always a, a really important part of the equation to me and the relationships that people had with each other and the support that they were receiving. So I think that's why I ended up taking so much on myself because I recognize that no one will will be as willing to sacrifice for Do It Now Now as I am because in building Do It Now Now, I was looking at, it was so clearly my personal vision for my own life created into a social enterprise form. It was a thing of, there is a problem that I am willing to dedicate my entire life to solving. How can I build a structure around solving that problem? And so there'll be people that come in and get it and they'll get parts of it, but they'll never fully understand what I'm trying to do because they're not in my brain. So I recognize actually what I can do is find, help other people find their place and their story within what Do It Now Now is and help them attach themselves to it and create a new thing together. Um, And that's helped me kind of recognize my own limitations within my kind of vision planning and sharing that vision and getting people excited and willing to to spend the time and the hours and dedicate themselves to it. But also recognizing that people just need a job sometimes. And we try and make sure that we're choosing the people to work with us that actually really understand what we're doing and know and have that passion for it. But that isn't always, you can't always find that right, absolute right person for the job. So it's about meeting people where they are and supporting them where they are. And at the very minimum, making sure that they are having a good experience so that if and when they leave, they can still say really good things about us. And that's the that's the protection that we have. So I don't really look at it from a, everyone has to be willing to work the same way that I do. Um, I look at it from a, how can we make sure that while you're with us, you get to fulfill whatever it is that you need to fulfill in this part of your career. And that if we need to see you off, we see you off in the best way possible. Sarah, it's interesting stuff, isn't it? Can people always manage to recruit for sort of values and mission or actually do you recruit for skills and experience first and and you know some people as bio says just want a job i honestly think it really depends on the type of role and the type of organization but i think for the kind of organizations that you know you guys are running i think it's so fundamental to have somebody in line with your your values and your mission yeah, Bio, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I think I just really, really agree with Sarah there. I think for organizations like ours in this space, you find that people are attracted first by mission and then by whatever role is being advertised and they'll try and see if they can they can do it. It's your job to kind of, to ensure that you're filtering in the best way possible. We've built our system so that the first interview is a person interview. It's not can you do the job it's who you are and just finding out about you and kind of doing the basics so that we know what we're what we're in for and just making sure that we're not we're not putting someone into the second stage of the interview that we think wouldn't be able to connect with what we're doing or is just completely out of the loop it's about finding that balance we wouldn't hire someone who has like there was actually Hopefully they won't recognize themselves if they listen to this. But there was actually someone who was fantastic, 
truly fantastic and really told the right story, really kind of felt like they connected with us and what we're trying to do and, and had all the skills. And then when they, when it was about moving into that second interview, like, let's get to the nitty gritty of our culture, how we exactly do things. And if what, how we do things fits with how you want to do things so that we don't have a kind of a culture shock when you suddenly come in. And sometimes people ace the first kind of the first interview. And when it comes to the actual day to day, how they interact with our staff, how they interact, how they build, how they work with people. And we kind of start looking at that. It's completely at odds with each other. And we have to say, well, I'm really sorry because we can't sacrifice the harmony of the team for a really skilled person. And similarly, we can't bring in someone who fully knows the, what we're trying to do and really gets it and is super passionate that doesn't have the skill level. So I suppose we look at the skills first and we screen by skill and then we look for the right person within that skill set. And then after that, it's do you get how we would like you to behave culture wise in in our organization so that we don't have a situation where you're just rubbing everyone up the wrong way and similarly it's not culture fit because i think culture fit is really just the, a lazy a lazy way of running an organization because it just says that we're not willing to shift our culture to make you, help you fit in it's about figuring having a malleable culture that says okay maybe whatever you're doing or whichever way you might want to do things that we don't do things we can learn from you but if you're just at odds with it and like it's my way or the highway and you don't show that malleability at all then it's time to be like ah you didn't pass that third that second stage which is really the third stage of everything that's a really important piece of advice isn't it that that I, i love that phrase malleable culture because you assume that culture can be quite rigid you know you assume that culture is a good thing but actually it, it can be something that scares people away, I guess. Uh, Sadie, it must have been th- the other way around for you because you came in and and it was about, well, do you fit in with the organisation's culture or do you have a remit to change it? That, that's a really interesting question. So I don't think I would have wanted to join the organisation if I didn't kind of broadly like how it seemed things were done around there and, and their sort of yeah. behaviours and broadly kind of the, the culture as it was. I think there is something that we're evolving a bit um, because of where we came from, which is is becoming a bit more commercial. So I think that is that that will change some of the thinking and some of the ways we do things. So I think in terms of malleable culture, actually, that's a bit of a direction that we are headed in while still staying very close to our values. So I think that's an interesting it's like, yeah, how, how far can you stretch and still be you and the organization that people signed up to? And really believe in so so I think that's that's key and I was just really reflecting um, when bio was talking about uh, I think the biggest mistakes I've ever made in recruitment and the biggest mistakes I think that happen in management generally have to do with appointing or promoting someone who is rubbish with people but great in a domain area of domain expertise because the damage they can do to other people or to their team and I think that the organizations are still a bit daft or you know a bit slow to recognize it's it's actually just because they're good at what they're doing now doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be a good manager or leader and is there room for ruthlessness in in social enterprise i mean what one social entrepreneur i um, spoke to recently had a mantra which was hire slowly fire quickly how, how if if there's someone who is really wrong for the organization what do you do the first time I ever had to get rid of anyone, I was in absolute agony about it. And they had really 
upset everyone they worked with. They weren't delivering in their management role. It was just a bit of a nightmare, but actually they were great at managing up. So I'd been a bit slow to recognize what was actually going on. And when I did, and then obviously we, we had a process and there was an opportunity to, to see if, if things could improve and that wasn't happening. And my, my boss at the time said, you know what you need to do, don't you? And I'm like, mm, probably. And his feedback to me was, yeah, you took longer to make the decision, but when you made the decision, you know, you, you got on with it. So I think it's absolutely creating an environment in which people can succeed. But when you know it's not going to work, then you need to act as a leader, as, as a manager. What experiences have you had with that, Bio? You know, I have tried the firing slowly thing because my my modus is people pleaser. So I find it really difficult to let someone go. And I try everything, or at least I have in the past, I've tried everything to kind of say, well, this isn't working and this isn't working and this isn't working. So let's... Um, and it's not, thankfully for us, it's very rarely been like kind of a domino effect of negative attitude hits, creating more negative attitudes and ongoing. But I will say that what I've learned over time is I agree with hiring slowly. I agree with firing quickly once you know it's right for that person. So there's a lot of room for performance management and support and all of those things. But once you know it's the right, it's right for that person to go and there is a bar where you recognize that that person is now harming your organization, it is right to fire quickly because honestly, you're stressing them out just as much as you're stressing yourself out. And I recognize the kindness in saying to someone, you know what, this isn't working out because I've actually gotten, I've gotten myself in a bit of trouble because I found it so difficult to say those words, it isn't working out and everything just kind of became. So when it finally did happen and it was said, that you know what actually you're not doing this job properly it became a whole issue because i was trying so hard to save the save that person in the role for so long so i've recognized that the best thing i can do for myself and really honestly for that person is give them a time frame and say hey we're going to we'll pay you out for this period of time go find yourself another job Let, let's move on to the more positive side of uh people management um as a again as a social entrepreneur as a leader you can have sort of various sort of systems and things in place around career development team building and that's important it, it's very easy actually as a leader to sort of forget about the importance of nourishing your team if you like so how do you actually sort of make sure that your team is like a well-tended well-pruned but flourishing garden Sadie yeah yeah so um so this is very much on my mind because we're thinking about our business planning for next year right now. And um, and we haven't really had a people plan before. Um, and people have done bits and pieces of training, but we haven't really managed that well. And we've not been clear what are the, what's the opportunity we want to offer people in terms of um, growth and development. So so that's, yeah, it's really, really thinking about that right now. I think um, there's definitely something that we need to do in terms of people having really meaningful development plans. So there's, there's some of it and there's a requirement to have it, but is it really meaningful? Are they having the right conversations with their managers? Actually, what feedback are they getting from others? So there's a big focus for me actually at the moment around feedback, giving and receiving, creating a safe culture in which people can honestly do that. Um, because I just feel people have been hurtling <laughs> quite a lot. And actually there is absolutely an opportunity to increase you know, how well we work together, but also 
uh, in terms of, mm, actually, here's something that could be more of a strength for you if, you know, or here's a strength you should lean into, actually. So I think just looking at what are the skills that we've got and where do we want to give people uh, to make sure that we're giving people that opportunity to grow and develop. I'm sort of I do subscribe to kind of the one of the management theories, which is, you know, people really benefit in the workplace from a, a strong sense of purpose and being feeling part of something from having a degree of autonomy. So they know what they're, where they're aiming for, but they can work out how to do it and how to deliver it. And they have the support and resources they need to do that. But also that sense of mastery or increasing their competence and their skills. So even if someone just wants to come in, do the hours or whatever, they'd still like a sense of, mm, I'm doing something different that I haven't done before and that's new, or I'm getting better at this, or I'd really like the opportunity to get involved in that. So so I'm sort of bringing that sort of philosophy, I hope, to, to how we're thinking about um, the, yeah, the opportunity to grow and develop um, for, for folk at Clear Voice. And who does HR with you or for you in your team? I mean, classically in social enterprises, there isn't someone specifically dealing with HR. You know, Sarah, you, you, you're part of a whole HR team at Buzzacott, aren't you? And you, you offer advice internally and externally, I think. But I mean, Sadie, have you got an HR person or is it another thing that is loaded onto your list of things to do? Or how does that work? Well, uh, it's a really good question. So it's one of the things we're looking at when we're looking at the relationship with the parent charity. So at the moment, HR is a shared service uh, that we receive from Migrant Help. Uh, and I sort of, when I arrived, I'm like, who's my HR business partner? It's like, ah, <laughs> doesn't quite, not quite set up that way at the moment. Um, but yeah, we're sort of evolving and developing how we want that to work. And it is, a, to be honest, it's just always organizational development people development is just a real passion of mine so uh so i am drawing what i on what i can at the moment and thinking about what we need for the future and, and bio what happens in in your organization similarly uh to what sadie was saying earlier about um the to the earlier question the performance development reviews and all of those things we also invest quite a lot in bringing the team together and helping them have fun together so things like Team days happen really relatively often. And then we do kind of dinner. There's a game night or game afternoon every month. And there are lots of prizes and things that we do throughout the year to kind of just make people feel good. And we also invest in um, kind of kudos and those kinds of things throughout the year. And lots of people get flowers for lots of different things. Just like there's a, there's a baseline of the, the structure, but we just kind of like to mm. elevate it with a lo- little bit of shushing of like, hey, we really like you, kind of reminding people of that throughout the year and helping, uh, facilitating their fun. Um, the other piece is we do have an HR person. We have had one for about, a, I think, about a year. But fortunately, uh, he's leaving to, due to like um, different family structure now, he's leaving to become freelance. So he's becoming our freelance HR person. And then we're going to bring on another in-house HR person. Because I, I'm a really big believer that we need in-house support on those kinds of things because the tiniest things can can escalate into something quite significant and uh our hr perspective is is really rooted in in a culture perspective so it's not just the what is my what is my appraisal looking like what is my salary it's also i had an argument with this person and i don't know how to get out of it and it's that kind of thing that gets mixed up so it's we are looking to make the people function feel like this is a group of this is a team of people at the moment it's one and a half this is a team of people that are really here to make sure that your work life feels like it's a good one and not just a transactional one 
and that we are here as people working together, not just a task relating to a task. It sounds as though both you, Bio, and you, Sadie, have quite holistic approaches, actually, to HR. And I, I've come across organisations before where the HR person is the person who gives you your contract, you know, or has the awkward conversation with you when you need to leave and doesn't really get involved in the, you know, might get involved in the Christmas party, but doesn't really get involved in other things. But Sarah, it should be a lot more holistic than that, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think to have an effective and efficient HR department, it should be a lot more than that, as you say, a lot more holistic. And it should be, you know, you should have your wider business strategy, but you should then have your people strategy alongside that. It shouldn't really be as operational, but I suppose going back to what I was saying a little while ago now, it is quite important to get those foundations right. And those are your kind of basic operational things like your policies, your procedures first, and then build from from there. Can HR also be a bit of a Cinderella service, though? You know, it's a bit like impact measurement or often, you know, marketing is an afterthought for organisations. I suppose it's important to allocate a proper budget. I guess that's what I'm saying. I think the heart of a company is your people. So you need to, as you say, allocate a proper budget to it. You need to give the attention to it in order to be successful. And where can you go if you don't have experts in HR what I mean obviously we can come to Buzzercott and uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> get, a, get a free plug for you there but you know what how do you go about finding people who can help you with this stuff I mean there as you say you could come to Buzzercott we are um, that is what we do we are an outsourced offering offering those kind of specialist advice but there is a lot out there that you can find um, it just you know, a simple Google in terms of things you can find there a lot on ACAS, some really helpful resources. You can really subscribe to a lot of HR newsletters and get a lot of information. Yeah, I presume there are cowboys out there as well, aren't there? You need to avoid those. You know, I mean, you're a, you're part of a chartered institute. Is that important? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely I, I, I've come across it a lot. And I think especially in the nature of what we do here at Buzzercott, we can be brought in as um, we are people's HR departments if they don't have one or they do have HR, they have an HR person or mm. HR department. They don't have those particular expertise. So we will go in and support with certain projects. And I think that... Um, unfortunately you do find it where people just in the kind of remit of their role just get these things allocated to them and it's not always as straightforward and you do Mm. need I think especially with the risks that can be associated alongside certain HR activities you know talking about a dismissal you want to make sure that you're doing it right and you do need somebody who knows what they're doing to help you with that yeah Okay, so I'm going to draw this to a close now. And to do that, I just want to ask each of you to think about one top tip or piece of advice for how social enterprises can ensure they're leading an an effective, happy team, particularly through challenging times. So maybe, Sarah, I'll ask you first as the HR person. What do you you recommend? Oh, it's a very big question. (laughs) I think that as far as possible, having an open way of working Um, and when people you can bring them together and they can bring themselves to work as who they are and that environment supports them I think you can find that they are happier and I think that it's especially important for managers because I feel that they really help set the tone and if if they are approachable and authentic I think that helps people feel comfortable coming to work and being that way themselves. Thank you Sadie. 
Yeah, so totally agree. So for me, it's absolutely about open two-way engagement or multi-way engagement. People really feeling able to give feedback. And I also think there's something around being honest about the challenges and mm. creating an environment which people can say, actually, but this is really hard, you know, and, and, and find ways to explore that and address it. And I think attached to that a bit as well is um, taking things going wrong as a learning opportunity. And I've seen that not happen a lot in organizations and I've seen terrible blame cultures and all the rest of it. And I think, you know, it's really if, if things go wrong, put them right and absolutely engage with. So so how do we avoid this happening again? Um, and, I, and, and people are very fearful still, I think. I'm not saying that in my organization, but generally. Um, but I think absolutely part of the tone that comes from from the leadership is it's you know we're human beings we're going to make mistakes we just need to put our hands up and work out what to do about it together mm. and bio last thoughts to you um honestly i don't think there's very much to add between what sarah and sadie have contributed here for for us the thing that i'm really focused on is kind of recognizing that I, I fought for a very long time for us to have a flat structure. And then I realized that it, in that kind of malleability aspect of it, I realized that the more people we brought onto the team, the less likely they were to, to like having a flat structure. They wanted a lot of clarity around the hierarchy and all of the things that kind of come with that. So what we ended up doing was kind of creating, yes, there's this hierarchy and I, I don't love looking at it because it kind of has me at the top alone. So, there, but it is there. And, but we have flat structure communication. So anyone can say anything and it's taken at the same level of seriousness and it's reviewed in the same way. And it's just giving people the, the respect that they deserve when they come to work and for their expertise. Uh, some people like the fact that we give a lot of people a lot of flexibility really early on. It's like, hey, we hired you to do the thing. This is the remit that you have. Go run and, do, and get on with it. Uh, I sometimes get a come uh, for some feedback that hey, I feel uncomfortable being being given this level of freedom so early on, and then we respond to it and say okay, great. Um, here's how we can fix that and like put some guardrails around you. Other people love that and run with it. So flexibility around how specific people want to be engaged is is really the best way to go. I think. Great. Well, wise words from all of you. It's time to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you to all my guests, to Bio. Thank you for having me. And to Sadie. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And to Sarah. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. This was Fit for the Future with me, Tim West. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe to the Pioneers Post podcast on your favourite podcast platform and visit pioneerspost.com for all the news, analysis and resources you need to do good business better.